Father, we do humble ourselves uh, before you. For it is better that we humble ourselves than be humbled by you. My Father, I give you thanks and I praise you and I honor you for your word. It is your word that purifies us. It is your word that builds us up. It is your word that corrects us. It is your word that teaches us. It is your word that keeps us on the way, my Father. It is your word, Father, that creates enough a new person, a new man, a new woman, a new servant. Let your word so penetrate us, Father. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, Father, beyond my words, that your Holy Spirit would speak to your people. I honor you, Father, and I surrender myself to you now. Father God, be with me and let your anointing be with me. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. If you would open your Bibles, please, uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. In last week's uh, sermon, uh, we started looking at the first part of of this chapter, uh, and another of the parables of Jesus, it was the parable of the widow that keeps coming persistently in front of the judge. And Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he was teaching us that we need to be a people that persevere in prayer. Amen? That's what last week's gospel was about, and if you want to get more, please go to the website and and you can listen to that sermon. Uh, Jesus was putting that parable and that teaching and clearly was marking it as what the job of the church was, what the, the life of the church should be between the cross and the second coming. I mean, you, you have to read it that way. Because chapter 17 is all about the second coming of Christ. And as that parable concludes, Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So what Jesus is talking about is what the church should be about between the cross and his second coming. It is a church that is prayerful, and it is a church that is consistent, and it is a church that is perseverant in prayer. Not, I feel like it today, but I don't feel like it tomorrow. But it is a church that is constantly on its knees, praying to God without giving up, without giving in, but consistently calling for God's kingdom to come on this earth. And for God's will to be done. That's what that last week was about. In this week, he continues, and, and we continue to sit at his feet, but he continues to teach us about prayer. 
this time is not so much about how the prayer should be, but this week, today, the parable that he tells is about the attitude of the person in worship. The attitude that we ought to have in worship and in the service of God. This parable is about attitude. The lesson being that our attitude in worship and in the service of God are as important to God as the act itself. Are you with me? Because there are many times that we so are concerned about the outward things we do without the right attitude of why we're doing it unto the glory of God. Amen? I mean, we can sing the best songs, we can be, uh, we can say the, the most eloquent prayers, and our attitude may not be the glory of God. It may clearly be, Lord, I want the people to hear what I sound like, or I want this place to do this, or I want that, and, and it's all about externals. And God is as concerned with the intent of our heart and the attitude of our hearts toward Him as concerned as the thing we actually do. Our service, our gifting, whatever it is that we do. He wants to make sure that our attitude is right. Because if it's not right, we're going to get puffed up with how good we are. If our attitude is not right, we're going to get puffed up with what I've accomplished. What I can accomplish once I set my mind to it. Boy, I'm a gifted man. If the attitude is not right, we get puffed up and we get all proud. Because we're focused on the external and not on the internal that the Lord wants to do in us. Clearly, this passage, and if you see with me, uh, in, in verse 9, the passage clearly um, states what Jesus intends. Verse 9 says, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He's addressing those of us and those among His disciples and perhaps the Pharisees in the crowd... He's addressing this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in their own set of values. They trusted in their own accomplishments. They trusted in their own self-worth. So that God indeed should be very pleased with them and grant them the prayers that they're praying. And more importantly, if God is pleased with me and my righteousness, He surely will enter me into heaven. I mean, He should be grateful that I'm this good. He should be grateful that I said, yes, Lord, here I am, use me. 
Because I'm just so gifted and so good and I give so much and I pray so much and I sing so well that God should be grateful that I'm so great. He should grant us our prayers because we're so good, because we do so much, because we're so sacrificial. And he should certainly allow us into heaven, into the bosom of Abraham. Today, there are people, possibly even among us, who believe that God owed them something. That God owes us something because of everything that we do for Him. Because we think of Him in the morning, because we think of Him at night, because we think of Him all through the day. He owes us something. And when God doesn't deliver what we want, those are the people that get so angry at God and wonder where in the world is He. Lord, don't you know how important I am to your kingdom? And you're not granting me my prayers or making me wait. That's the attitude of someone who feels that he is worth so much within himself. These are the kind of people that he's talking about to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But the second part of that verse also says that this same self-righteousness who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Despised others. Put others down. Excuse their own behavior toward a fellow human being. Excuse their own inconsiderate, judgmental, and unforgiving attitude toward others. In other words, I am worth a lot to God, but this guy is not worth much. Are you with me? Those that have that attitude... I am worth God's forgiveness. This person is not worth my forgiveness. I am worth, I deserve, but this person does not deserve the same treatment from God or from me. So the parable is addressed to those individuals whose self-value is greater than it ought to be, and by doing that, they devalue other people. Treat them demeaningly, treat them as inferior, treat them as different and as unworthy. I am worthy, but he's not worthy. Not of the same. Because it's about me. Now, not too long ago, I I preached to you a, a sermon on humility, if you remember. Uh, remember the parable of, or, or when Jesus goes into a, a Pharisee's house to eat, and he tells the people that were vying for the highest places, and he says to them, you know, sit in the back. If, if you're worth it, you'll be brought up. 
But if not, you're going to be taken back. Remember that, that passage? And I spoke to you at that time about humility. Humility, one of the great uh, practices of the church and, and virtues of, of the Christian life. Now, I describe to you humility in this way, and I really want you to learn what humility is about. Humility is the result of the right and correct knowledge of who God is and of who I am. You get it? Humility is the result of the right and correct knowledge of who God is and of who I am. Because when I am willing to acknowledge who I am, the secrets that I know about myself, my inner thoughts, my sinfulness in the past, in the present, and in the future, when I acknowledge my weaknesses, when I acknowledge that I am not all I appear to be, and I acknowledge that before God, and I acknowledge that His pure holiness, there can be no pride in me. Somebody say amen. Amen. Am I right? When you truly know who God is in His holiness, in His almighty foreknowledge of all things, in who He is, and, and, and you look honestly at who you are, there can be no pride in us. The only thing there can be is a sense of humble thanksgiving to God that He has chosen to love us. And that he has chosen to have mercy on us. And that he has chosen to even give us a part in his ministry. Humility is the result of having the right and correct knowledge of who God is. And of who I am. That's humility. This parable that we're going to deal with right now is about humility in the vertical, humility with God and before God, and humility in the horizontal. Humility toward my brothers and my sisters, toward the stranger, and even toward my enemy. This parable is about humility both vertically and horizontally. In this parable, there are two men Two attitudes, two prayers, and two different outcomes. Two men, two prayers, two attitudes, and two different outcomes. It takes place in the Jerusalem temple. Jesus tells the story in the Jerusalem temple. He puts the story probably in one of the hours of prayer. The Jews had specific hours of prayer, like 6 in the morning, 12 noon, or 9 a.m., 12 noon. Every three hours or so, there was a time of prayer. But it may have very well happened at a time of private devotion. But it is, certainly, it occurs within prayer. Most likely, it occurs in the court of the men. Okay, there is the court, as you enter the temple at the time of Jesus, there was the court of the Gentiles. Then there was the court of the women. 
Then there was the court of the men, and beyond the court of the men is where the priests would go, and the, and the, the, the brazen altar was there, and, and then beyond that is the Holy of Holies. And it, it takes place probably in the court of the men at a time of prayer. Near the sanctuary of the Lord our God. Two men are standing in prayer. One of them is a religious leader, a Pharisee. And the other one is a notorious sinner, a tax collector. The Pharisee clearly in, in the parable, it says that they actually both pray to God. Both their prayers begin, God. So they're both praying to God. But the Pharisee, it says that he prayed to God and he also kind of prayed to hear himself. He prayed unto himself. You know there are times that we need to hear how good we are? And I think this guy was in the temple trying to convince God that he was that good. First, he tells God in prayer what he is not. He says that he is not an extortioner. He's not a thief. He doesn't steal. He doesn't obligate people to pay. He doesn't do any of those financial things that would make him an extortioner. He's not like that. I know some people like that, he says, but I'm not. God, I'm not an extortioner. And secondly, he says, and I'm not an unjust man. Okay, I'm not an unjust man. But I'm also not an adulterer. I know a few of those. But I'm not one. Lord, I'm keeping the commandments. I'm not an adulterer. And then he says, I'm not even like this guy back there. He's a tax collector. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a religious man. This guy, his business every day is to collect money from the Jews to support the Roman legions. He's a traitor to the cause. He's a traitor to your word. He's a traitor to God. He, I don't even know what he's doing in the temple. See, the Pharisee, we would expect to see him in the temple, but the tax collector probably would not be very well looked at inside the temple. He says, I'm not like any of those. On the other hand, he says, I fast and I tithe. So first he starts with what he's not, and now he starts with what he is. And he actually, in, in speaking about fasting and about tithing, he goes beyond the mark. Fasting is great. Fasting is commanded of the Lord. It is good to humble ourselves and humble our bodies through hunger before the Lord and to cleanse our bodies and to cleanse our souls in prayer, especially when fasting and prayer come together. Fasting is good, but he makes the claim that he fasts not just at times of calamity where the Word tells us to fast, not at times of illness, not at times that we need to humble before the Lord. He actually fasts every single week. And not just one day a week, he fasts twice a week. 
maybe on Monday and Thursday. And he also tithes. Now tithing is commanded of the Lord. The tithe belongs to the Lord. And we Christians need to learn that. That the tithe belongs to the Lord. But he doesn't just tithe as the Lord says in his word. That we are to tithe for how he profits us. For how we gain. Whether it's from the ground. The, the fruit of the ground or financial gain. He doesn't just tithe from income. He claims that he tithes from everything. Everything he ties off. And he makes these claims of what he's not and what he is. But one thing there's not in his prayer is any sense of confession. There is not one word in his prayer, Lord God, I confess to you that I have fallen short of your glory. There's not one word of repentance, and there's not one word that says to God, forgive me my sins. None of that is in his prayer. On the other hand, the tax collector, the tax collector has a real sense of who he is and who God is, and he doesn't even dare approach anywhere near the holy place. It says in the parable that he stands in the back. He doesn't feel worthy enough to come anywhere near where the Holy of Holies is or where the sanctuary is or even to the front. He has this sense that he knows who he is. He knows his sinful life and he doesn't dare disrespect the name of God, the glory of God, by even approaching too close to the altar. So he stands in the back. It also says in the parable that he doesn't even dare lift his eyes to the heaven. He keeps his eyes down. It's a sign of the shame he feels in his heart for his sins. He doesn't even dare lift up his eyes. And then it says that he strikes his chest. He strikes his chest constantly. Kind of punishing himself. A sign of contrition. A sign that he feels he is deserving of God's punishment. Deserving of God's response to him that he's deserving and he punches his own chest in sign of pain contrition and sorrow but his prayer is god in fact i'll i'll read it to you his prayer is god be merciful to me a sinner be merciful to me, a sinner. He doesn't need to tell God how good he is or anything. What he needs to tell God is how much he needs God's love, God's forgiveness. His attitude is one of humility, one of surrender, one of dependence on God to lift him up. He won't lift himself up. 
because he can't. His prayer is full of confession, full of repentance, and full of a request from God that he does something to him that he cannot do for himself. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus concludes that whole parable by saying that that man went home justified more than the other. You know what justification is? Justification is a legal term. Justification means that you have come before the judge and the judge has said, go home, you're free. That's justification. Not you're not guilty, but rather you are forgiven. That's justification in Scripture. That's what the term means. And Jesus says that that man who confessed his sin and who repented and who asked for forgiveness goes home forgiven more than the other individual who's had his own self-worth, his own self-aggrandizement, and who doesn't even ask for forgiveness. Jesus says the tax collector goes home forgiven more than the Pharisee. Justification is by grace and not by deed. Justification is by God's beautiful mercy and not by any of our accomplishments. Justification is the work of a God who loves his people, who when they run to him and ask for forgiveness, it is the desire of his heart to grant them that forgiveness, to restore them, to cleanse them, to return them to wholeness, and to bring healing into their lives. Justification. You see, self-exaltation will lead to humiliation. And self-humility will lead to exaltation. Jesus says that if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And I'd rather be humbled here than be humbled at the doors of the gates of heaven. I'd rather be humbled and corrected here than be surprised when I am ready to come to the presence of my God to find out that I have not done what I'm supposed to be doing. Humility is the act by which we act in the presence of God in such a way that we are humbled and He's exalted. Our job as the church is to humble ourselves and exalt Almighty God. And we exalt Him by the testimony that we bear to the world in our attitude toward Him and toward others. Jesus says that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I think you get the parable, and I don't think I need to, to go more into it. But the question is this. How do, we apply, how do we apply this to our lives? Because I don't want you to get the Word of God and, and, and store it in your head without living it in your lives. What does it mean? How does humility look like? What does humility look like before God and before man? 
What does it look like? I think, at least to me, it's clear that humility before God is an acknowledgement of my sins. It's acknowledging who I am. As best I try to be, I am still a failure when it comes to my own deeds. When it comes to me pleasing God, I can never do enough. Because it's not within me to do it, and I don't have the ability to do it. It is what he does in me that makes the change. Humility before God is when I learn to humble myself before him, acknowledge that he is holy, that he is good, that he is perfect, that he is everything that is good in this life, and I am not. Humility begins when I acknowledge that in my heart, in my mind, and in my soul. And in the practical sense, I think humility toward God implies to me that I am a person who who am uncompromisingly obedient to His Word. I cannot claim to be humble before God and disobedient to His Word. If truly God is who He is, and He is in my life, my life needs to be one of obedience. God's Word is His Word. God has spoken to His people. God has set down the way His people shall live. God's Word is God's will. And for me to live humbly before my God means that I will not compromise His Word to me. And we live in humility by living in complete, uncompromised obedience to the Lord. I can't claim to be humble but disobedient. Because I'm not setting myself at His mercy. I am not giving myself to His service. I'm still saying, I will do it my way. Humility toward God is an attitude of the heart and an act of obedience in all that I do toward Him. That is the vertical of humility before God. But what what does it mean for me to live in humility with my neighbor, in humility with my fellow man? It means that I will not set myself above another person. It means that if I want God's love, I have to give God's love. It means that sometimes I need to humble myself and think of others even higher than me so that I can become his servant. I will never serve another person who I don't think is higher than me. I will become a servant when I consider other people either higher than than me 
or at the very least equal to me. Humility is to consider others better than me and at the very least equal to me. Because until I have that in my mind, in my heart, I will never treat them either as an equal or as someone I should serve. I just won't. It's part of my human nature. Humility in the vertical and humility in the horizontal. If I believe I, I deserve forgiveness, so does he. So does he or she. If I believe that I deserve God's love and God's mercy, so does he or she. He's not inferior. She's not inferior. She's either my equal or one that I need to serve and wash their feet if I need to and serve them in gratitude to the fact that Jesus, who deserves it all, has served me. Humility in the vertical and humility in the horizontal And let me say this other thing. Humility before God does not begin when you enter the church. Amen? Humility, humility before God does not begin when the service begins. Humility before God is an attitude of the heart that is constant of a person who recognizes who he is and who God is. Every day, every place, at every time. Humility is not something like a Sunday dress that we just put on for Sundays. Humility is a daily attitude of the heart. Humble yourself and God will exalt you. And let me conclude with this. Humbling yourself before God will cause you to humble yourself before your fellow man. You cannot live in humility before God and in obedience to his word without being humble in all your surroundings, in all your relationships. It is your whole attitude changes. Your whole lifestyle changes. Your dependence becomes the Lord. Your exaltation doesn't come from who you say you are. Your exaltation comes because God says you are. When you humble yourself before God, you will learn to humble yourself before your brothers and your sisters. If you don't humble yourself before God, the flesh will kick in. You will never be humble in this life at all. Humble yourself in the vertical. Submit to God. Surrender to God. Acknowledge who He is and who you are. And automatically, he's going to lead you into humility with other people. Because you won't need to be, you won't need to put on a mask. You can be as real as you are. Because God knows you and loves you as you are. As you are. You don't have to play the more important person. You just have to be the Son of God, the woman of God, that God loves passionately and has died for. You don't have to play the game of this world. You can be humble and let God exalt you.
Let God exalt you. Humble yourself in the presence of God. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And let him exalt you. And bring glory to his name.